Let's go ahead and get started. We uh, are coming to a major division. We have now covered uh, the basic um, sacrificial system that uh, we need to have covered to understand what the typical uh, Israelite layperson would have been instructed to observe with the various sacrifices. Now we come to a, a juncture here in chapter 6, and we're done with instructing the laypersons, and we are now looking at uh, some special instruction for the priests. Now, there are a, a few verses that still deal with the Israelite layperson, but more or less, this is going to be a section that we're coming to now that is instructive for the priests so they don't make any mistakes, so that they have a reverence for the position that God has placed them in, so that they don't manifest a a prideful attitude, oh, who cares about all these rules for what I'm supposed to do? Well, we are going to find out in chapter 10 about two people who didn't seem to care about the rules. Have you ever noticed in our society overall these days, there is a general disdain for somebody telling you what you're going to do? Do you remember back a few years ago, there was a commercial on for... uh, Outback Steakhouse. Who remembers the motto that this this, uh, steakhouse company was uh, putting out there in in the uh, advertisement? Anybody? No rules, just right. Come to Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. All right, so what is just right? If there's no rules, then how do you know it's just right? Not only that, but it just expresses the basic attitude of most people in America. Well, I can't say most, but at least a sizable portion of Americans don't like to be told what they're going to do and what they aren't going to do. There's something about our human natures do not like rules. Okay? But what we see in this portion of Leviticus, well, throughout the whole book of Leviticus is, you ignore rules to your real disadvantage. There, there must be adherence to what God says, or we incur his wrath. So, let's look then at laws for the priests, finer point specifics for all the offerings. We're going to go uh, through the offerings now, once again, from the standpoint of, okay, this now is special instruction for the priests. Let's put it in chart form. Oh, that's not real big, is it? I'm sorry. They'll look bigger on the screen. 
on my computer. I'm going to have to put my glasses on. <laughs> All right, so what we've, been, what we've covered is chapter 1, verse 1, through verse uh, 7 of chapter 6. All right, so here we are. We've been through the bird, all we called it the ascension offering, the grain offering, the peace or fellowship offering, purification offering, also known as the sin offering, and the guilt offering, also known as the reparation offering. And so we've, we've covered all of that through chapter 6, verse 7. Now, over on the right side of the chart, we're going to talk about laws on offerings, specific instructions for the priests. Uh, this chart helped me a lot because in my reading through Leviticus, uh, up until I saw that chart, I'm thinking to myself, why are we going through all these offerings once again? I thought we had learned about the offerings in chapters 1 through 6, 7. And then we start in going over them again. We start in with now not just the burnt offering, but the continual burnt offering. And what the priest's role is in making sure this offering is continual and not intermittent. It was a priest's job to keep the fires burning at all times. Next, we talked about the grain offering already, but now there's a continual grain offering. It's the priest's responsibility to offer this grain offering for himself. Okay, so the priests had to do this. Then the high priest had to do a grain offering in the morning and the evening. All right, peace or fellowship offering in the first part of our section here. And notice that the order gets kind of shifted a little bit. In the priest's duties, peace offering is the very last thing that Moses is going to instruct the priests about. We don't really know, didn't find any commentators as I thought about this. I'm really kind of a loss to explain why this is. Perhaps from God's standpoint, this was for the priest the most uh, important aspect of his ministry. So he saved it till last. Uh, next, we have purification offerings, and the priests got to be very careful about some things. Guild offering, same thing. And then the, the ending of this section in uh, chapter 7, verses 11 through 36, will be the importance of the priest getting the peace offerings just exactly right. Once again, this chart is from a book that I recommended to you last week, which is the Tyndale Old Testament Commentary volume on Leviticus by J. Sklar. And this comes from page 127. All right, so this, I hope, orients us uh, to where we are in our study. And overall, this section of Leviticus 
is showing us that there's only one way of approach to our holy God, and that is sacrifice. Sacrifice for us means the sacrifice of Christ. And it is only as we are rightly related to that sacrifice that we are saved. The heart of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. He offered a vicarious atonement for us. Now, how are we going to respond to that? The difference between salvation and eternal perdition is the question, what will you do with the sacrifice of Christ? Will you accept the free gift that God has offered to us and put your confidence in what Christ has done on Calvary's cross? Or will you say, I don't need that. I'm doing fine on my own, earning my own salvation. And that is spurning the free gift that Christ offers. Offers everyone. No one's going to stand before God in judgment and say, oh, uh, I thought, you know, that basically after I heard my gospel, I could do just fine earning my own salvation. Eh, no, that's, that's not going to cut it. And uh, we have to, that, that's why we, we witness to people. That's why we proclaim the gospel. Because the natural human tendency to think, well, if I live a good enough life, then I'll, I'll have no problem getting into heaven. Uh, that's seen then to be unbiblical as it can possibly be. All right, so let's go ahead and get started here with the very first point, and that is that uh, kind of a general overview to this, of this passage. So let's look at chapter um, 6, verses 8, and the first part of verse 9. It's nice, I got a new iPad, and so it's really fast. Uh, it's just amazing how many, how much improvement they made from the first generation to the ninth generation in iPads. Actually, there are ten generations, but I went with the ninth generation because it was half the price of a tenth generation one. Okay, here we are then. Let's take a look at uh, verse 8. The priests and the offerings is the heading in the ESV that I have here. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, now verse 9, command Aaron and his sons saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. Notice this is the first time in the book of Leviticus that we have direct instruction of the Lord to Moses, make sure you do an adequate job of telling the priests what their responsibilities are that I have rules, I am holy, and I must be approached in a sense of the fear of the Lord. And, I'm, and, and the priests are going to have to pay very careful attention to 
every aspect of my word. Otherwise, the result could be disaster. This is something that I think a lot of folks in, in our you know, age today don't seem to understand. They think, well, I'm, sir, I'm saved by grace, and so any way I li- want to choose to live, no matter what I want to do, then I ought to be able to do it. And so they find out, though, that there are various ways that disaster can accrue to somebody who lives that way. And so we, it's a multiform disaster in some people's lives. I'm glad they're saved by grace through faith, but somewhere along the line, somebody got real antinomian in instructing them what to, how to live the Christian life. So here we are. Very important that the, that the priests listen very carefully. This instruction focused on the proper handling of the sacrifice, well, sacrifices, the proper distribution of the sacrifices, what was to be burned entirely, what wasn't. Wow. How do we dispose of the various offerings, like uh, the burnt offering, uh, ashes, or in the, the peace offering? What would happen if in the peace offering, uh, the persons, the, the priests, might have had a fellowship meal with the offerer, and then they didn't finish all the meat the first day, the, or I should say the day of the sacrifice? What were they to do with the leftovers? Some of the uh, sacrifices, the leftovers, were good for two days. Others, for only one day, the day of the sacrifice. And so there's just a multitude of specific things they had to learn. The priests needed to treat God's holy property with due reverence. Okay? There's a right heart attitude towards these multiform rules. And God, who is infinitely great and perfect in his infinite character, gave these rules to the priests, and he expected them to say, Yes, Lord, I'm going to do this just exactly as you have stipulated. There's no room for error. But of course, there were at least two people that weren't listening too well. Go, if you would please, to Leviticus uh, chapter 10. And notice, now Nadab and Abihu, verse 1 says, the sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it, and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Now, what does that mean? We're going to talk about, when we get there, several possibilities as to what literally strange fire is. Okay, one, one interpretation would be it was unauthorized in the sense that it was not made up of the correct uh, components. 
there, this is a very, there was to be a very special uh, incense. Nobody in, it, in Israel could have this for their own use. This was something that only the priests could formulate and, and burn on the altar of incense in the holy place. And so, uh, was this something that Nadab and Abihu thought smelled better than the regular incense? Uh, that's a possibility. And there are other possibilities, one of which I think is a little bit more likely than that. But anyway, whatever it was, these two individuals, these sons of Aaron, uh, basically just were not listening too well. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now notice verse 2. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. This judgment was instantaneous, and it was deadly. To put it in biblical terms, the Lord himself cut these two individuals off from his people. Now we'll talk about what that means. And then Moses said to Aaron in the aftermath of the loss of these two sons, all at the same time, both of them, this is what the Lord has said. Now notice, here's Moses' instruction directly from the Lord. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. Literally, I will be treated as holy. And the book of Leviticus is all about the the prerequisite of being holy in order to live in God's presence. Among those who are near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Treating God as, as, a, as a, I should say, glorifying God is a subset of showing everybody that he's holy. Because holiness is everything that God is in his infinite character, of his infinite being. And glory is consists of those parts of God's character that he has displayed and that we can understand. No doubt there are many things about God's infinite character that we can't even understand right now. In in our age, too, uh, there are some things about himself that God has not chosen to to reveal to us. Well, that's his holiness, but his glory is what he has chosen to reveal to us about his character. And so this is the very foundation of everything that the priest was responsible for. He's responsible for treating God as holy and, and glorifying God before all the people. And of course... That is true today for anyone who leads God's people. It's true for somebody who's in a pastoral position. It's true for somebody who is a teacher. It's true for 
parents who have to be instructive of their children. We have to raise children now in a day when rules are despised. Not a, not a happy uh, condition to be in, but I hope that uh, those of us who have grandkids and who can, can sometimes it's a touchy thing getting involved with your grandkids if the parents maybe aren't doing the best job they could uh, instructing them in, in uh, the importance of walking circumspectly in the Christian life. But that's something that we need to uh, attempt to do. All right, so that's a big introduction now to going back over some of the specific uh, offerings that we've already seen in uh, chapter 1 through 6, 8, or 7, excuse me. And so the first type of, of uh, discussion here is going to be to go back over the burnt offering, also known as the ascension offering, because the sacrifice was entirely burned and ascended up to the Lord. And so the conti- we want to emphasize that this is to be a continual thing in this section. The fire on the altar of sacrifice was never to go out. So the priests had to keep the fire burning 24 hours per day, seven days a week, all year long. We have uh, by, for instance, the, the grave of John F. Kennedy, the eternal flame. How many of you have been to Arlington Cemetery and seen the eternal flame? Okay. That, actually, that has gone out uh, off and on for quite a while. Uh, it's, it, they, have, they haven't been able to keep it burning all the time. I don't know why. But uh, this was not acceptable for the priests to ever let that that fire on the altar go out. Perhaps now you're even thinking to yourself what the application of this is to our day, but uh, we'll get to that. All right, so let's read chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. Okay, back to chapter 6. All right, so the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth, on the altar, all night until the morning. And the fire of the altar (laughs) shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen, linen garment and put his linen undergarment on his body, And he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. It would be the north side of the altar. And uh, then what is he he to do? Verse 11 says, Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments, that is, garments that are consecrated, to carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning 
and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. And so what we would suggest here is that just as worship in Israel was continual, so the New Testament exhorts us to have the same attitude of dependence on the Lord continually. Let's let's take a look at a couple of verses in the New Testament. We could look at many here. But first of all, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, This is what the text says in verses 9 and 10. But he said to me, this is when Paul is asking to be relieved from this uh, thorn in the flesh that God has sent to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Okay, verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. This is the heart of the apostle and his continual dependence on God's strength to live the Christian life, and to deal with many of the difficulties that we all experience. It seems like the older we get, the more we experience these difficulties. I don't think I, as I look back to a young man in my 20s, I don't think I went to the doctor very often. Maybe I had a sinus infection and I had to get an antibiotic and I hadn't been to the doctor for five years. You know, I just, I just never had anything wrong with me, hardly. And, uh, uh, you know, my dad, for instance, he, the first time he saw a doctor was when he had his induction physical into the, arm, uh, the Navy. The whole time he was being raised, he was being raised by a Christian scientist mother who didn't believe there was any such thing as sickness. It was just, you know, a construct of your mind. You just think you're sick. (laughs) Yeah. You hear the joke about Mrs. Jones down the street, and and, uh, she said that her husband was sick. And so a kid goes home and tells his Christian scientist mother, "Uh, Mr. Jones is sick. And uh, the mother says, no, he just thinks he's sick. He's not really sick. And then a few days later, he's down talking with Mrs. Jones, and, and uh, she says, I'm having the funeral this afternoon for my poor dear husband. He's dead. And so the, the boy goes home to his Christian scientist mother and says, uh, Mr. Jones is dead. And the mother says, he just thinks he's dead. Yeah, right, okay. Anyway, uh, this, we, we are always dependent on the Lord uh, and for his grace and for his strength. And the older we get, the more it seems like 
that becomes extremely crucial. Philippians chapter 4 and uh, verse 13. Let's, go, let's pick it up on verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of, fl- of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. A continual attitude of trust in the Lord. We have to make sure the fires of sacrifice, of, of, of appreciating what Christ has done for us and dying for us, that that fire never goes out on the altar of our hearts. We're so tempted yet, especially when we enter into real problems, we're so tempted to focus on the problem and, and let that get us down and occupy all our thinking Sometimes we focus on what might happen. Oh, what happens if I go to the doctor the next time and he tells me bad news? And then we can can start even getting fearful of something that's not a reality, just a latent possibility. So we have to make sure that as believer priests, we never let the fire of dependence on the Lord go out in our lives. All right, next, the grain offering, chapter 6, verse 14, through uh, chapter 18, uh, verse 18. Verse 14, got to go back to Leviticus. All right. Verse 14, and this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord in front of the altar, and one shall take from it a handful of fine flour of the grain and its oil and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering, and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the rest of it, Aaron and his sons shall eat. It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. In the court of the tent of meeting, they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my food offerings. It is a thing most holy. Now, part of what the priests had to understand is there was a difference between offerings that were most holy, and offerings that were holy. So there's a gradation here of, of holiness inherent in the offering. Every male among the children of Aaron may eat of it, as decreed forever throughout your generations from the Lord's food offerings. Whatever touches them, that is any aspect of this grain offering, shall become holy. Uh, and so, basically, this is, this is some exact stipulations. The portion of this sacrifice that was not burned was to go for the support of Aaron and his sons. This, remember, 
they were fully committed to uh, the sacrificial system. This occupied all their attention. This, this, and their all their strength. No doubt they would not all be working in the in the sacrificial system uh, at all times. That there were there were different divisions of the sacri- of the priests that would do these things at various times and then be on vacation, uh, so they didn't wear themselves out. But uh, it was uh, something that required their attention, their devotion, and so they wouldn't have your typical uh, farming jobs. They had to rely on the faithfulness of God's people to provide offerings that would uh, allow them to not starve to death. Whoever touched this grain offering had to be holy because it was a most holy sacrifices. The priests were to model for Israel what it meant to reverentially guard what was holy. The layperson in Israel could not eat any of this grain offering. It was off limits to him. It was devoted entirely for the Lord. Now, this offering was to be perpetual. It was a responsibility of the high priest. The continual grain offering. He offered half of it in the morning and the other half in the evening. Verse 19. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This is the offering that Aaron and his sons shall offer to the Lord on the day when he is anointed a tenth of an ephah, of fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning, half of it in the evening. And so the high priest was anointed. The regular priest was consecrated, but not anointed. So this is something that is the responsibility of the high priest. Verse 21, it shall be made with oil on a griddle. You shall bring it well mixed in baked pieces like a grain offering and offer it for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest from among Aaron's sons who is anointed to succeed him shall offer it to the Lord as decreed forever. The whole of it shall be burned. Every grain offering of a priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. So, this reminded the priests that they were exactly as every single Israelite. They were all needy sinners. And everything they are and have was to be uh, burned before the Lord. That uh, they they could not uh, keep this as the typical grain offering was available to all the priests. And basically what we would argue here is that this was an antidote to spiritual pride on the part of the high priest and then by instruction of him to the other priests, this was something that was to be a continual thing in their minds. 
Although God has elevated the, uh, the tribe of Levi, specifically the family of Aaron, to be priests, and they had a special function, they were still like every Israelite, a needy sinner who had to offer sacrifices just as God specified. Of course, that is, it. That is as well for us today uh, true that that's what we need as believer priests. We have to realize, yes, none of us is any better than uh, any other Christian. And uh, as we heard today, uh, we, we can't get up on our high horse and start thinking, well, I'm better than an, than an Israelite because they've been cut off due to unbelief and I stand by faith. And so don't look, you know, the tendency has been since the time of Paul, as we learned, to look down on the Jewish people. And that's, that's not an option for us. Not an option. And of course, we have many individuals today who are Jewish and they know the Lord. My wife and I like to watch the Rosenberg Report uh, every Thursday night. And uh, this, is, this is done by Joel Rosenberg, a very successful author. Uh, I mean, he's written novels that have been uh, number one on the Times uh, bestseller list. He's, he, it's almost like he's prophetic in some of the things that he has predicted uh, in his novels that have come true. And he, uh, he emphasizes on his program how God is working today in the Jewish nation and how he's always longing for his fellow countrymen to come to know Christ. Excellent program. All right, next, the purification, or what is also known as the sin offering. In chapter 6, verses 24 through 30. All right, uh, we're running out of time here, so before I get into this, this is another most holy sacrifice, uh, and so we'll begin talking about this next time. Just let me say that as believer priests, <coughs> excuse me, we today have a great responsibility to model for everyone who's watching our lives, to model what it is to walk circumspectly and in obedience to New Testament injunctions against certain things, and to emphasize the New Testament commendation of certain things. Like the New Testament says, we ought to be praying continually. Just like that fire on the altar was not to go out, it was the priest's responsibility. I don't know about you, but I feel as if I need more work on my prayer life. And uh, it's, a continual, it's a continual deficiency in my life. 
But uh, the nice thing is God is patient with us. That shouldn't be, uh, you know, a thing we latch on to to excuse ourselves. But nonetheless, we do serve a gracious and patient God who instructs us and patiently leads us and that expects that we live a very exact existence. All right, let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for uh, what your word instructs us in. We know you have not changed over the eons of, of time. And you have not, your, your expectations for us today very clearly um, are to model the, in principle form the exact same things that the priests were to do in the sacrificial system. Thank you, Father, for the fulfillment of all this system in Christ, and we, we are thankful that you have so worked in our hearts as to draw us to salvation through Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.